Greetings in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We thank God for bringing us together this morning to praise him um, with songs of, of, of worship and honor to his name and to hear his word um, as he speaks to us. Because uh, our conviction is God has revealed himself clearly in his word. And we need to pay careful attention to the word as it is preached because God speaks and we are to hear. That is why we sing, um, speak, O Lord, as we come to you. Let me take this time to welcome, uh, I see uh, um, Jackie. Jackie is uh, at the back there. Jackie is a pastor of Rustenburg Baptist Church. Um, it's, a, it's a church that is, so I, I don't know the name of these places. I think it's in Protea Park. Um, in Protea Park, um, Jackie is the pastor there. We've met, um, I think, last year or last of last year, uh, around that time. Um, so get to, to know him as well. Uh, welcome to Grace as well, uh, Mama Grace, and, and get to know her. Um, and and, and uh, maybe some of you remember her. Um, as she has been here before. All right, we, we continue with our series in Nehemiah, Building Together. Um, it's a series that we, we want to take a few um, weeks looking at the, the book of Nehemiah and, and what God has to say to us from this book, this Old Testament book. And today we're looking at chapter 2. We're going to look at chapter 2, verse 1 up until verse 20. So the whole of chapter um, of, of Nehemiah chapter 2, and we're looking at it from the topic of a seventh heart. A seventh heart. We want to uh, uh, wanna ask ourselves what it looks like to have a seventh heart. So I read from Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1 to verse 20. Follow me as I read from God's word. Remember that the, the last time we, we, we looked at chapter 1, Nehemiah ends the, the, the chapter 1 by saying, Now I was cupbearer to the king. Chapter 2, verse 1, up until verse 20, he says, In the month of Kislev, in the, months of, in, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. But why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and, and, and its gates have been destroyed by fire? That the king, then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. 
And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let the letters, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the, 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 the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make the beams for the gates of the forest, uh, uh, for the gate of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite, seventh, uh, the, the Ammonite seventh heard this, he, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night and I had a few men with me. And I told no one what my God put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me uh, but the one on which I rode. I went out by night to the, by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the down gate. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool. But there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall. And I turned back and entered the valley gate, and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone and what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble that we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with, with, uh, with its gates uh, bent. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them, of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words of the king that had spoken to me and said, let us rise and build. So they, they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite servant, and Geshem the Arab, head of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, why is this thing that you are, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will rise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. This is God's word. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, we thank you for your word. As we look at the life of Nehemiah and think about what you are teaching us and, and think about even your redemptive plan for humanity. May our eyes be open to see these truths, O oh Lord. May our hearts receive your truth. May we glorify you, Father, as we hear your word, that our amen would be doing your word and walking in it. May you be praised and glorified in every way. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen. In September of, 19, of 1853, a 21-year-old young man by the name of Hudson Taylor left the comforts of Britain to become a missionary in China. And this was a precarious time in, in China's history and a dangerous place 
for a British young man to be. But there was a desire in him that consumed and eclipsed his desire for safety and comfort. His heart was grieved that many of the Chinese people were dying without knowing Christ. And so he gave his life and, and gifts and, and reached out to the Chinese community and eventually started a, a missionary organization called China Inland Missions. What is interesting about this organization that Hudson Taylor started is that the, the missionaries that worked for it had no guaranteed salary. So in other words, when they left Britain to go into China, there was no monetary incentive to go. They, 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 had nothing, they had nothing in terms of materials motivating them to go. They went without any guarantee of a salary. But they believed that God would provide as they reached out to the Chinese community for Christ. And we see this conviction clearly in the words of Hudson Taylor when he says this in encouraging his people. He says, depend on it. God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. We see the same desire in Nehemiah with regard to the Jews and Jerusalem. After hearing the news of the terrible state of events back home, he, he became grieved. He was weighed down with this grief and burden of what was happening. So he spent time seeking the face of God, and he knew that God was calling him to Jerusalem to restore the city and help the people there. And we see that clearly in verse 12, when he, when, when, when he goes and inspects the city, he says, I, 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 I told no one what my God had put in my heart. So, so, so he knew that his burden and his desire for the welfare of Jerusalem was a burden that was put by God in his heart. In chapter 2, we see the early phases that lead to the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And it is here we see clearly Nehemiah marked by a servant's heart. A heart that was concerned not for his own interest, but for the interest of God and his people. I want us to take time to, to zoom into this story and see what a servant's heart looks like. And to zoom out as well and see how the story fits into God's redemptive plan. To do this, I want us to see first three qualities of a servant's heart. Three qualities of a servant's heart. First of all, a servant's heart, heart has a quality of personal sacrifice. Personal sacrifice. Consider verse chapter 1, verse 11, and chapter 2, verse 1. In chapter 1, verse 11, the, the end of verse 11, he says, Now I was cupbearer to the king. Chapter 2, verse 1, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Ataxerxes, when wine was before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. There's a detail here in verse 11 of chapter 1 when he says, I was cupbearer to the king. That tells us the profile of Nehemiah. 
he, he worked for Persian royalty as a cup bearer. Now, now cup bearer were, were men who took the wine to the king. Uh, this, this position of, of cup bearer may, may not sound like much to us today or may even sound unimpressive. But in this context, it was a very important position. In the Near Eastern court, cupbearers played a very important role. First of all, a cupbearer was entrusted with bringing the wine before the king. He, he would take the first sip of the wine to ensure that the wine was not poisoned. As he takes the wine before the king, he would be the first one to drink it to show the king that there's no attempt of assassination on his life. Then he would give the king the wine. But not only that, his position as cupbearer, because he would also risk his life, made him trustworthy to the king. And, and he would have a political influence in the kingdom as an advisor to the king. So, so cupbearers were, cup were, were highly educated men. They would be advisors to the king, and, and they could use their position for good or for evil. This often meant that it was a position that could give one status and wealth. So think about it. Nehemiah was also that kind of person because he, we, we, we can see that he had a lot of wealth. In, in, in chapter 5, when... Uh, uh, when people are being oppressed, we see Nehemiah's generosity by not taking the governor's wage, but using his wage to, to, to make feasts for people, to set up feasts for people out of his own expenses. So, so we can see that this man had a lot of wealth because of his position as a cup bearer. But we see something interesting. Nehemiah's heart for Jerusalem will mean great sacrifice on his part. Remember that Jerusalem has been described in chapter 1 as being in ruins. There is nothing attractive about it. The former beauty of Jerusalem is only a distant memory. But as the story unfolds, we see Nehemiah's plan is to leave the comforts of the palace to go into the ruins of Jerusalem in order to seek the welfare of that city. There's an undeterred resolve and a commitment to go to Jerusalem. He, he is not thinking in his mind what he will lose. In the midst of these responsibilities that he has, these duties that he has as a cupbearer, with all the influence, Nehemiah knows what to do. He doesn't complain about how much he has achieved in the kingdom. He doesn't complain about how much he will lose as a result of leaving uh, 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 um, the place where he is in to go into Jerusalem. A servant's heart, we see here, prioritizes God above self. A servant's heart prioritizes God above self, even if it means great sacrifice on your part. 
when you consider the stories of missionaries, you, you come to appreciate how much was sacrificed on their part to go into the mission field. We, we spoke about Hudson Taylor, who left the comforts of England to go into war-riddled China in, in 1853. On the other hand, there's Martin Lloyd-Jones, who left his career as a doctor and took a 90% salary cut to become a minister of the gospel all his life. Think about C.T. Stard. C.T. Stard, who was, a, who was an up-and-coming cricketer, a famous cricketer, and, and, and he, he also had great wealth from his father's, uh, um, from his father's inheritance. He had in, inherited a lot of wealth. He gave it all up to become a missionary in Congo all his life and eventually die there. When City Start was asked, why such a sacrifice? Why are you making such a sacrifice? Why are you leaving your cricket career, your booming cricket career, and leaving your father's inheritance and giving it all away? Why are you doing this? This is what he said. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. He, he didn't consider what he was losing to be of any value. Re remember Jim Elliot who, who died at the age of 21, uh, at the age of, uh, age of 29. He, he says that it, 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 it is no issue to give up what one can, cannot keep, to gain what one cannot lose. And I believe that was Nehemiah's perspective as well. Uh, that, that is how Nehemiah saw things. We, we, we see this servant's heart. There's, there's personal sacrifice on his part. He, he, did not in, he did not hesitate to ask the king, send me to Judah. He knew that this is what God wants me to do. I wonder this morning what God is calling you to do. I wonder what sacrifice God is calling you to make. Is he calling you to sacrifice your time? To, to spend time with other Christians in discipleship? to walk alongside young Christians and, and show them what it looks like to, 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 to be a husband who loves Christ, a husband to, who struggles but repents and walks with Christ. Is God calling you to, to show what it is to, to walk as a mother who loves Christ, as a, as a wife who, who loves Christ? Is, is God calling you to sacrifice your time in that sense? Is God calling you to sacrifice your resources for his kingdom? To, to give generously to missions and, and to the local church for the progress of the gospel? Is he calling you to sacrifice your comfort and, and convenience, to, to, to open your doors, to be hospitable to your brothers and sisters in Christ? What is he calling you to sacrifice? What is it that you are holding on to and do not want to give up? What is it that God is calling you to let go of in order to serve him, in order to honor him? Will you obey him? Will you obey God as he calls you? 
we see Nehemiah here did not hesitate, did not think twice. He knew that God is calling him to Jerusalem. And this would require great sacrifice on his part. And he went. But not only that, a servant's heart is not only marked by great sacrifice, a servant's heart is also marked by faithful patience. Faithful, faithful patience. I want you to see that, that the time has passed since Nehemiah received the news of the state of the Jews and, and Jerusalem. That, that, the time that has passed is about four months. In chapter 1, verse 1, when Hanani and the men of Judah visited Nehemiah, it was the month of Chislev, which meant that this was uh, during, um, in, in mid-November and, and, and mid-December. And in chapter 2, verse 1, it is in the month of Nisan, which is mid-March and mid-April on our calendars. Uh, this means that he, he was prayerfully waiting upon the Lord for an opportune time. He, he did not act haphazardly after he heard the news about Jerusalem, but he waited upon the Lord. He waited on the Lord. He waited for the opportune time. He knew that God's timing is perfect. We see clearly in verse 11 of chapter 1 when he prays, he says, Give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. In other words, Nehemiah knew. He knew what he must do. He knew that he must approach the king. And think about it. How many times in that four months he, he approached the king and he did not say anything? He waited upon the Lord prayerfully committing himself to the Lord, patiently waiting for the opportune time. He is marked during this time by waiting, by patience and faith in the Lord. He, he spends time praying and waiting upon the Lord. Warren Wesby says, true faith in God brings calmness to the heart that keeps us from rushing about and trying to do in our own strength what only God can do. We must know, we, we must not know, we, we must know not only how to weep and pray, but we must also know how to wait and pray. We must wait and pray. Watch and wait, right? Watch and wait. A, a servant of God waits upon God out of an understanding that God's time is the best. When we don't wait, usually, we usually act in ways that are unwholesome. Right? When we don't wait for marriage in God, we usually enter into things that um, uh, messes up our lives. Think about Abraham and Sarah. God had promised them a child and, and they couldn't wait any longer because they were, they were looking at things from their perspective and their timing, right? They, they, they were looking at things from their perspective and saying, my biological clock is ticking, as, as Sarah was saying. And instead of waiting upon the Lord, Sarah gave Hagar to Abraham so that they can conceive and make a child. And they did. 
things did not go as they planned. Things did not go well. It did, it did not only affect their family, but it affected their nations as well. Nations continue to fight, to be at war with each other without peace, all because they couldn't wait. Some, instead of waiting upon the Lord to open doors of employment for them, they bribe their way into getting a job. Or waiting for the right time to get their driver's license properly, driving properly, they bribe their way into getting it. When I, when I got my license, I got it on the fourth try. And the first time I went in the morning, I was with the lady who was um, teaching me how to drive. And we were in the truck and she says to me, before we get into the testing station, she says to me, what do you believe about bribes? I knew what she meant. And I looked at her and I said, I believe that it's a sin and I will never do it. She said, okay, I also believe that. But she didn't believe that. And then we go inside, I see her talking to the instructor and to, to, to the person who tests and then I drove and failed. I came the second time and she said to me, you failed because you did not bribe. I said, I'm never going to do it. I went the second time. The same man who was testing me saw me. He failed me. I went the third time. Tested the same man. The lady still said the same thing. He failed me. The fourth time I went, the same man. And this fourth time it was now different. When I came, he said, it is you. You're going to fail. I knew I was going to fail before I even tried. So I was like, oh, what can I do? I, I, I drove. I drove. And I passed. He was angry. He was cussing me out. But he passed me. And I did not bribe anyone. When I drive today, if I do a mistake on the road and someone says, where did you get your license? I know my conscience is clear. When I talk about uh, 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 um, corruption in the country, I know my conscience is clear. I know that I did not have a hand in corrupting an official. We fail to, work, to wait upon the Lord because we want things to come immediately. We, we fail to trust that the Lord is in control. Instead of waiting for the Lord for the, for the time where you will be employed, you bribe your way and get into it. You see, I'm, I'm convinced that the, the reason people are afraid to invite their neighbors or evangelize their neighbors or to evangelize their colleagues and invite their colleagues to church is because they are afraid that when they, their colleagues come to church, they will know that this person is a hypocrite. Waiting upon the Lord is a mark of a servant's heart. 
it, it is a confession that the Lord is in control over everything. Everything is under control. That the Lord knows everything and the Lord will intervene in his perfect time and will get his glory. You might get that job that you're bribing about, but the Lord is not getting his glory because you will never be able to evangelize the person that you bribed. A servant's heart is marked by patience in the Lord, waiting upon the Lord. Not only that, but a servant's heart, a servant's heart is marked by complete trust in God. Complete trust in God and not in self. The, the whole of chapter 2 shows us a picture of what complete trust looks like. We, we see this in three phases. For the first phase, we see this in, in Nehemiah's interaction with the king. He approaches the king as a cupbearer. We remember that as a cupbearer, Nehemiah had access to the king. So he comes into the presence of the king. In verse 1, he, he takes the wine to the king as was his custom. But, but the state of Jerusalem this time, this day, this specific day, as, he, as he, 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 he takes the wine to the king, is weighing heavy on his heart. That on this particular day, he's unable to contain and compose himself in the presence of the king. He is clearly sorrowful. He is clearly sad. And the king sees it. He says, now I had not been sad in the presence of the king. You see, kings in this age, you are not supposed to be sad in the presence of the king. Because when you are said, you are communicating that the king is not benevolent, he's not good. So that could result in you being killed. But let us look at the story. He says, now I had not been said in the presence of the king. And then the king notices this. And he says, why is your face said, seeing that you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Listen to Nehemiah. He says, then I was very much afraid. He understands that it could mean two things. It could mean that he's communicating to the king uh, that you are not benevolent. And the second thing, it could mean that, it, that the cup that I just gave you is poisoned. And both of us are about to die. Because Nehemiah had to drink it first and give it to the king. So he was said in the presence of the king. And when the king realizes that he said, Nehemiah is afraid. He's afraid of what might come next. Because what might come next might give the, 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 the king a wrong message. And the king might say to, him, to, 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 to his servants, off with his head. Kill him. Nehemiah's fear was justified because the king could call for his execution. But in verse 3, he assures the king that he does not seek to do, the harm, to, to do the king harm. He says, let the king live forever. And, and tells the king what is grieving him. He says, why should my face not be said when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates destroyed by fire? Then the king said to him, what are you requesting? Now stop right there and think about it. Thirteen years before Nehemiah approaches the king, King Artaxerxes stopped the rebuilding of Jerusalem. 
And he was angry when he did that, when he heard the reports from the officials who reported the matter to him. Now, the matter that Nehemiah is raising could also get him in a lot of trouble because he is questioning the political wisdom of the king, the political decisions of the king. This could turn out very badly for Nehemiah. So the king asked him what he's requesting. So Nehemiah says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. Amazing, right? I prayed to the God of heaven. This was a quick, spontaneous prayer. Warren Wesby calls this prayer telegram prayer. You know telegram, you have to, it's, short, it's just short words, right? It's a telegram prayer. He, he prayed it right in the presence of the king. He did not turn and said, king, give me a moment, let me pray. He prayed in his mind. In other words, brothers and sisters, it is long, not only our loud cries and prayers that God hears. God hears even the prayers of our hearts. How encouraging is that? That in the moment of grief, we can uh, say a prayer to God without even saying words. That we can be confident that God knows our hearts. He, he sees our tears. He, he knows us even when we are saying, not saying it in words. So, so God moves the, the heart of the king uh, as to, to hear Nehemiah's request. And then Nehemiah asked for three things. To be permitted to go back to Jerusalem, to rebuild it, letters of passage to be allowed to go to Judah, and the supplies for rebuilding the city. Look at verse 8. In verse 8 he says, And the king granted me what I asked. For the good hand of my God was upon me. Do you see what Nehemiah is doing? He says, the king granted what I asked, not because I had negotiation skills, but because the good hand of my God was upon me. So Nehemiah, we see here, we see confidence in God, complete trust in God. We see that the, hand of the, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and the Lord is turning it wherever he wishes. It is clear that God is in control. There is a recognition that God worked in the heart of the king here. Not only do we see complete trust when he relates to the king, when he talks to the king, we see complete trust again in his response to his enemies. As he goes to Judah, we see that not everyone was happy about what Nehemiah had in his heart. There is, there is um, in verse 10, Sanballat, Tobiah. And in, 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 in verse, um, verse 19, we hear about Geshem as well, the Arab. These men were against what Nehemiah was, was doing. They, they were against it. They were against the fact that he was seeking the welfare of the people of God. This tells us, brothers and sisters, that when we serve God, it does not mean that everyone is going to be on our side. You see, Satan does not like a heart that wants to serve God. He, he will try to deter it in a lot of ways. Right? He will try to make you too busy to focus on God. He will try to get people to be against you. And this is what we see here. 
But think about this. Think about Nehemiah's response. When the enemies are against Nehemiah, verse 20, Nehemiah says to them, he replies to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper. That there is complete trust in God. That it is God who is in control here, no matter who is against it. The God of heaven will make us prosper. He will see his work through because it is his work. We don't only see that complete trust when he responds to the enemies, but we see it in his, in his and the people's motivation as they commence the work of the rebuilding. Nehemiah spends three days inspecting the city, inspecting the walls, inspecting the gates. And then he had not told anyone about this. He had not told the officials. He had not told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. And then he says this to them. I want you to listen to this. Verse 17. That there's confidence in God here. There's complete trust in God. Then I said to them, you see the trouble that we are in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates bent. Come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. That we may no longer suffer derision. But what will motivate them to rebuild? Listen to this. He says, and I told them of the hand of my God that was upon me. I told them of the hand of my God that was upon me and also of the words of the king that has spoken to me. And I said to them, let us rise and build. What motivates these people? It is the fact that God is with them, that they are building. They say, the Bible says, so they were strengthened. They strengthened their hands for the good work. They, 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 they were encouraged. They were motivated because God was with them. You'll notice that in this passage, in this chapter, God is mentioned four times. He's mentioned when Nehemiah prays to God in verse 4. He's mentioned in verse 8 when Nehemiah says, The hand of God was upon me. He's mentioned in verse 12 when, 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 when Nehemiah says, It is God who put this into my heart. He's mentioned again in, in verse 18 that the hand of my God had been upon me for good. Five times, I mean. In verse 20, he says, the God of heaven will make us prosper. God is in control over all these things. This is about God. The hero of the story is God, not Nehemiah. But the story ends here, right? Not necessarily ends here because there's chapter 3. But in, in chapter 2, we, we see the story here. I, I want us to zoom out now. And, and see what God's redemptive plan looks like. First of all, we see that a servant's heart is marked by great sacrifice. Right? Personal sacrifice. Don't we see that perfectly displayed in Christ himself? Who left the glories of heaven. Who left his throne in heaven. The riches of heaven. To come to a world infested with sin to come to a world that was in darkness, to come into a world that had no glory at all. He, he left the throne where angels worshipped him daily to come to a world that hated God. He came to a world to rebuild a people for himself. And Paul tells us about this in Philippians chapter 2. Uh, look at Philippians chapter 2. As Paul talks about 
what Christ has done. He says we must have this mind in us that is, um, that is in Christ, which is yours in Christ. Verse 6, he says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, Christ, like Nehemiah, uh, was a cupbearer and he looked at what he gained. He looked at what he had. He did not consider it something to hold strongly to. But he, he did what he left it behind to go to Jerusalem. And Christ did not consider equality with God as something to grab hold to. But the Bible says in verse 7, he emptied himself by taking the form of what? A servant. Being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Right? Waiting upon the Lord to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Nehemiah left uh, Persia to, to go to Jerusalem. But Christ left the glories of heaven to come into the world for you and I. To rebuild it and to, to, to rebuild us and to make us his own. To redeem us and to make us his people. To take away the shame of sin, the derision of guilt. And to bring us into his kingdom. And to make us a people for God. It is a picture of what Christ has done that draws our hearts to God. It is not the fact that we must look to Nehemiah as the hero. We look to Christ as the one who paid the great sacrifice with his life. Amen. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, we thank you. We thank you that we have Christ who left the glories of heaven, gave his life as a sacrifice on our behalf, emptied himself, and took the form of a servant. Lord, may we be servants that are looking to Christ, servants that are satisfied by the glories and the riches that are found in Christ and not in this world, O oh God that we may not hold tightly to the things of the world, that when you call us, Father, to, to give them away, to let go, that we will do so knowing that we are not losing anything, but we are gaining Christ. May you be praised in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.